Well, good morning, Third Street. Good morning, visitors. All right. A couple of you have already caught up. This is great. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Corey. I'm the lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church. And this morning, it is my distinct honor and privilege um, to, to do one of my favorite things that the Lord allows me to do, and that is bring to you this morning the word of God. If you have been with us, you already know what I'm about to say. If you haven't, let me catch you up to speed so you don't feel lost for the last several weeks. And by several, I mean seven. For the last seven weeks. This week makes eight. For the last eight weeks, we have been in this series called Church Clothes. Is anybody with me this morning? Can you say church clothes? We're going through steadily, slowly, but efficiently the passage that comes to us out of the book of Ephesians that the apostle writes uh, in chapter 6 as expressed through verses 10 through what we're going to get to today is the rest of verse 17. And what we've been talking about is we've been acknowledging out loud that there is a war going on. Am I the only one? Does anybody else this morning feel as if there is a war going on outside these walls? And I don't just mean in the physical over in Europe. I actually, I actually mean like spiritually in our lives. That a lot of us feel the weight of what's happening in the world before we even get to the weight of what's happening in our own lives. And as it pertains to instruction from our Lord, he is very clear and very specific about what he expects us to wear into battle. And I know a lot of us have gotten caught up in the past about, about what, what we wear, what we look like, the, 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 the visual that we offer to the rest of the world about our appearance. We want our appearance to say something about who we are. Well, actually, I might be the first pastor to have said this to you, but I would say that God agrees. God agrees that what you put on does say a lot about who you are and what you're prepared to do. But he's not interested in the name brands that you may be representing. He's not interested in the fact that this is Sunday one of the month, so we're wearing Jordan 1s on our feet. He's not interested in that. He's interested in what you put on and what you take up and what you are wearing in the spiritual. Because our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is not won by our designer jeans. Our battle is won by what we are wearing in the spiritual. So if you want to talk about church clothes, the only thing that I'm interested in talking about is the armor of God. If you haven't already, you can turn in your physical Bibles to the book of Ephesians. I ask that you would meet me there in chapter 6. As we have for the last eight weeks, we're going to start in verse 10. And this week, we get to make it to the end of verse 17. I know that it bugs a lot of you last week when we only went halfway through 17. They were like, that's like 17a. we got to complete the thought. Well, today, we complete a thought kind of. All right. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes it this way. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, 
Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Will you turn to your neighbor and tell them, neighbor, I have a weapon. Turn to your other neighbor and tell them, I have a weapon. That's right. See, that, that in and of itself is something that the enemy doesn't want you to know. The enemy doesn't want you to acknowledge that while you are putting on armor to be on the defensive, the Lord also equips you with a weapon. But see, a lot of us, a lot of us in the spiritual are experiencing an all too familiar moment from the physical, right? It's that all too familiar moment where it breaks down uh, our walls of self-preservation, right? It's the moment that somebody hands us something that we have no idea how to use and then just goes about their business as if we're just going to know what to do with it. And of course, when we're just handed something that we don't know how to use, of course, our first instinct out of self-preservation is to what? It's to pretend like we do know how to use it, right? It's to pretend, or maybe, or maybe that's just me, right? Is it just me, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're better than me, but for me, it's to pretend that you know how to use it, which just leads to inevitable embarrassment, it just leads to, to pain on, on, on the user's end, right? And ultimately, what did it gain us to put on the front as if we know how to use it? My fear this morning and what the Lord has burdened my heart with is that that's how a lot of us are behaving in the spiritual that we're putting on this front, that we know how to use this weapon that the Lord has given us, when in all actuality, we have no idea. And the enemy, I assure you, definitely doesn't want you to know. He definitely doesn't want you to know that you've got a weapon. And moreover, he doesn't want you to figure out how to use it because can I give a little bit of truth this morning? Can I tell you something just real quick? It's that it works. The weapon that you have been armed with works. But Satan, Satan wants you to doubt your weapon. Paul says your weapon is the sword of the spirit. It is the word of God. A lot of us automatically equate that with scripture. Satan wants you to doubt scripture. That's a tactic that he uses. It's, it's, this, it's this ploy uh, that, that is pretty regular, uh, a pretty regular attack, right? As we've been talking about it, as we've been going back to Genesis 3. Now, granted, God's instruction to Adam and Eve wasn't written down as a lot of it is for us, but it was still specifically told to them. And what does Satan do? He comes into Eve and he just plants that little bit of doubt. Did God really say? 
a lot of us, when we read the scriptures or we hear people just rattle it off, we're like, man, did God really say? And see, so many of us are so unfamiliar with what's been organized for us in the text that we dare not go into spaces where people are questioning and challenging. Let me tell you something right now. Let me give this to you for free. If you don't know your text very well, don't go to the barbershop. Don't go there because they've got actual scripture for you. Well, it says in Matthew, right? And if you're not ready to come back right back at them with like, that's verse 42. But did you read verses 33 through 41, right? Like if you're not ready for that, don't go in there. Come in here raggedy looking like just don't go in there. He wants you to doubt the authenticity of scripture. No book in world history has been more attacked than the Bible. Never mind the fact that there are quite literally thousands of authenticated manuscripts that we have to work off of. Never never mind the fact that there is eyewitness accounts of the reality of, of what is organized for us in this book. Never mind the fact that, it, that much of its characters and contents are historically proven, not just by Christians who are trying to prove it, but by world scholars who are like, oh, dang, Daniel really did exist. That's a real story. Satan wants you to doubt. But can I tell you that no text that anybody clings to has been as well proven over thousands of years as our scripture has? I would encourage you, I would encourage you to know as a result what's in it. Because other people who want to challenge your faith, they certainly know what's in it. Satan wants you to doubt God. He wants you to doubt the very basis with which, upon which Christianity is built. He wants you to doubt Jesus, never mind the fact that there's not a historical scholar out there that would argue that Jesus actually existed. What they argue is that, did he really get up after he had died? And as we read in the book of Acts and all throughout the New Testament, there are eyewitnesses that say, I synced it. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. Well, there's lots of people that say lots of things. That's fair, but it's usually to get rich and to blow a scam. The apostles who say it was with my own eyes, it didn't work out that way for them. There are many people that I know that would get a group together and collaborate on a story to try and seek fame and fortune happens all the time. But there are zero people that I know that would get together and collaborate on a story just for them to be robbed of their possessions, to be forced by the instruction of their master to share even what little they do gain, and to ultimately be persecuted and put to death for what they saw, unless there was a genuine transformation of hearts. 
let's just keep it real. In this world that we live in, nobody wants to be a Christian. Nobody wants to publicize that because what will you immediately, what will immediately happen to you? You'll be subject to scrutiny. People are coming for your necks. Ah, that, ah, right? Nobody wants to welcome that on themselves unless there is genuinely a transformed heart. And you're like, man, no matter what you say to me, I cannot argue with what God has done in my life. No matter how much you have to support your whack arguments, I cannot argue with the healing that I've experienced by the power of Jesus as given to me through the Holy Spirit. I can't argue with it. And ultimately, Satan wants you to doubt yourself. He wants you to doubt yourself. He wants you that when you take in those scriptures, he wants you that when you're in prayer and you hear a word from your Lord, he wants you to doubt. Did God really say that, though? He wants you to doubt. Did God really call you to do that? Because after all, you're really just a. And if you really put yourself out like that, people are really going to expose and find out who you really are. You know how much stuff from your past they can bring up and it'll immediately disqualify you. Satan wants to remind you, yo, we live in the midst, in the peak of cancel culture season. You don't want to be out here like that. You don't want to stand for that quote unquote truth. Satan wants you to doubt yourself. He wants you to not stand strong. He wants you to not know the sword of the spirit. Matthew chapter 4, Satan does what he can. He goes to Jesus, who was wandering in the wilderness alone and hungry, and he tries to tell him, Jesus, Jesus, man, if you're, if you're God, why don't you just make these stones to bread? I know you're hungry. If you're really God, why don't you just feed yourself? Jesus answers him with scripture. When he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. So then Satan's like, oh, you're going to quote scripture back to me, right? He's that guy in the chair on the far left, right? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna quote scripture to me. I'm going to quote scripture back to you. He says, if you're really God, why don't you throw yourself off this building? Because doesn't the scripture say that God will send angels to protect you as it pertains to you? Jesus answers back once more with scripture. He says, I know it to be true that thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan throws up one more Hail Mary because you see he knows what Jesus has got to go through. He knows, Satan knows that Jesus knows that the road is going to be really hard. Satan knows that Jesus knows that this road is going to result in suffering and that it's going to culminate in death. So Satan takes Jesus up to a high point in the city and he says, you see all this? I know you know this is all going to be yours, but it's all going to be yours through suffering and death. Let me offer you another way out. 
Don't the scriptures say that God will always offer another way out, right? Let me offer you another way out. Fall down and worship me. And I will give it to you, all of it. I will give you all of it. And you don't even have to go down that road of suffering. Jesus, one more time, tells him from the inspired scriptures, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Paul is telling you, is telling us, take up your sword. Pick it up. Because other people, the enemy especially, knows how it works. The enemy knows its capabilities. The enemy knows what happens when put in the hands of a right believer. The enemy knows what all your weapon is capable of. So won't you please take it up for yourself. Know it front and back. Get intimate into the word of God because I promise you Satan has a scriptural answer for everything to implore doubt and if you don't know what's in here you're not able to come back at him but can I tell you just one more thing Paul tells you take up your sword he doesn't say have somebody hand you a sword he doesn't say stand behind your neighbor who's got a sword he doesn't say duck behind the pastor whose sword has got to be be bigger than yours don't do any of that Paul says take it up for yourself you've got to know 2014 my wife and I were on our way to Ocean City New Jersey not for vacation and I wouldn't recommend it um, but because one of our uh, one of our elder daughters and by that I mean the uh, the string of college students who have who have lived with us um, the, 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 the senior most daughter that we had taken into our house was doing a summer uh, in Ocean City, New Jersey, and was feeling a little homesick. Uh, and so we decided to pay her a visit. And also, she had told me that she met a boy. So admittedly, my reasons for going out there was to find out what's up with this dude, right? <laughs> so against our better judgment, we chose to drive from Canton, Ohio to Ocean City, New Jersey, instead of just flying, right? I wish we would have flown, because if you've ever driven across the great, horrible state of Pennsylvania, um, dude, like, bro, the consequence of not having, like, whatever type of taxes they have is they don't fix their highways, but that's, so we're going across the state of Pennsylvania, we get bumper-to-bumper traffic in Philly, and as a result of our bumper-to-bumper traffic in Philly, we're very low on gas. And so we're praying to the good Lord, let us make it just to the other side of this river so that we ought, might stop and get some gas. And so we did make it to, 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 the, to the state of New Jersey, thinking there would be some relief from the atrocity that is Pennsylvania, um, but there isn't. And, and when I get to New Jersey... I find the first gas station that pops up, we pull in. Now, this is 2014. We pull in. Naturally, as any normal person would do, I got out of my car to pump my gas, only to find out that apparently it's state law in New Jersey, or it was at the time, that you can't pump your own gas. 
So I get out of my car. Dude comes sprinting out of the gas station. No, 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 no. Get back. No, no. I'm like, dude, what, bro? I'm just trying to, no, get in your, sir, get in your car. Sir, I cannot come any closer until you get in your car. I'm like, dude, I'm just, bruh. I'm not trying to mess with you. I'm just trying to get some gas. He says, get in your car. I'm like, I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to leave. And then he stands in front of my car and he says, he says, I see the Ohio plates. It's state law in New Jersey that I have to pump your gas. I'm like, sir, you really don't have to do that. He's like, no, 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 I do. I'm like, you really don't. He's like, he's like, no, I'm not being polite. I do. Now, let me just be super honest at the risk of getting angry emails from my New Jersey folks. That's dumb. <laughs> That's really dumb. And, and at, I immediately thought of that in terms of what we do with Scripture, right? We want to handle Scripture as if we're pumping gas in New Jersey. In other words, we want everyone else to handle it for us. We want everyone else to tell us what we should think about scripture. We want everyone else to do the hard work of knowing what's in here and then tell me about it on Sunday morning, right? We're more willing to spend time watching streams on YouTube and TikTok rather than spending time in prayer and reading the word, right? I would rather have some well-dressed pastor in six-second increments tell me how I should live my day rather than getting in my own word, spending my own time in prayer. I'm not coming for no next. I'm just being honest about how a lot of us have treated our spirituality. If you are spending more time on other people's sermons than you are in prayer, perhaps your priorities should come back into check. I'm just, be, I'm just being real. She said, I want everyone to be delivered from New Jersey in the name of you. The point that, the point that I'm trying to get amidst all the ridiculousness is to say that you need to know God's word for yourself. It's to say that you, know, you need to know God's voice for yourself is to say that even scripture itself says test everything, right? And the only way for you to test it is to know how, yes. is to know what God says about it, right? Know the word for yourself. Take up your own sword. Yes. Now, as we look at sword, it's interesting to me that Paul calls it a sword, right? And I know that a lot of us, we want to be quick to jump to the fact, finally, it's an offensive weapon. For seven weeks, I've been listening as to how to defend myself. For seven weeks, I've been listening to how God will preserve me. For seven weeks, I've been listening to how God covers me. But finally, week eight, the moment we've all been waiting for, I get to attack. And that's the way a lot of us treat it, right? We want to be quick to jump to the fact that it's the first offensive piece we've gotten to in the armor. We... We want, to, we want to go get it now, right? Matthew chapter 26, soldiers come to arrest Jesus 
in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prays, knowing his inevitable death is coming. And one of his disciples pulls out a sword. And as he takes a swipe at one of the guards, Jesus stops him and says, "Uh uh-uh. No, that's not what your sword is for. Put that away. I didn't call you to follow me so you could attack people with a sword. And the same word used for sword in Matthew 26 is the same word used in Ephesians 6. In other words, I hate to burst your bubble so early in, but that ain't what it's for. See, the sword that they're referring to is it's a single-edged sword. In other words, it's meant to cut things, not thrust into things. It's meant to slice. It's meant to pierce. It's not meant to, huh. I'm sorry. Also, uh, more bad news. It's actually a rather short sword. It's not meant for long distances. It's meant for close hand-to-hand combat. So it's not for violence. Your sword is not for long distances. And it's not for killing off somebody's vital organs. So you caught that, right? You catch where I'm about to go with this? It's, It's not meant... God's words are not meant to harm somebody. God's words are not meant to disprove and to attack somebody else. God's words are also not meant for long distances. So perhaps, just maybe, discern it for yourself, but maybe God's words aren't meant to attack on social media. I'm just, I'm... I'm just maybe, you know, because I don't know if you know this, but the way that it works is it goes up to a satellite in space and then it comes back down to the earth. And I don't know if you've calculated it before, but that seems to me another long distance that God's words did not intend to, you know, no, I don't think it's for that. Right. But rather it's for close proximity. It's for close relationship. It's for you and I that are near each other. So perhaps that as we pull the sword, it's not meant, I think it looks silly to say, uh, this is for Rob, I'm going to throw my sword at him in a back. I, I, I think that that's probably silly. Perhaps it's actually meant for the personal close quarters connection that we have. It's not meant to attack people a long way off from God. It's not meant to attack people that we don't even know. And if that's not enough conviction to stay out the comment section, let me go a little bit further. Perhaps it's meant to separate truth from false, prick the conscience, and convict the heart of the person who's in close relationship to us. Not the perfect stranger. Not the person you don't even know who's still a long way off, but the person that you're living life with. 
So I'm sorry, but I have to ask, are you using God's words in close proximity or are you trying to attack from a distance? Are you using them to lead and guide those that are in your household? Are you using God's words to lead and guide those that you live everyday life with? Or are you using just enough of it to attack people from a long way off? And I know that's a lot. And I hope that you'll extend to me just a little bit of grace as there is just one more thing I have to point out. Paul says, take, take what? Take the sword. What is the sword? It is the word of God. Now, as I was looking at this, shout out to Dio on some, on some, uh, on some, word, on some word study. I know you appreciate that, right? As I looked at this text in Greek, in its original manuscript, something stood out to me about the translation word of God. And that is that the word Paul uses for word is not logos. A lot of us know that, some of us might know that, that logos is the word used to refer to as the word of God as, as seen in the scriptures or the word of God as it pertains to Jesus. But that is not the word that Paul uses for word. In fact, the word that Paul uses for word is actually rhema. Rhema is God's spoken word. In other words, the sword that you yield is God's spoken word. And I don't know how many of you know and can personally testify in your life, but God's spoken word is powerful. It says in Isaiah 55, 11, it says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. In other words, if God says it, it goes down. If God speaks it, It happens. In Genesis 1, God created everything out of nothing by saying it. I don't know if you have ever spoken something into creation. You may have set something in motion at best. But when God said, let there be light, light turned on. When God said, let there be water, water formed. When God said, let there be land, there was land. When God said, let us make man in our own image, dirt grew organs and blood and veins and bones and flesh, and then God gave it breath. That's impressive. In Exodus chapter 3, God came to Moses and spoke to him through a burning bush. You ever seen a bush catch on fire and not just like to the ground, right? But it didn't. It stayed firm. And he spoke through the bush and said, I'm going to use you 
to free my people from slavery. And Moses, and Moses was like, but, 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 and God was like, uh-uh, it's going to be you and it's going to happen. And can I tell you what happens a few chapters later? Spoiler alert. I know you're all getting in your word after this, but just to go ahead and tell you what happens, they're free. God speaks to and through the prophets to convict the heart of Israel, which was wayward. And all of it spoke directly to the heart of where Israel needed to hear to come back to. Then Jesus arrives on the scene. Jesus gets here. Jesus, God incarnate, God's words in flesh, God's voice in humanity. Jesus gets here and tells the leper to be clean. And they were clean. Jesus tells the storm to be still and the weather stopped. Jesus was still miles away when he said that a Roman officer's servant would be healed and they were. Jesus tells a paralytic, his sins are forgiven, stand up and walk, and he did. Jesus encountered a woman with a blood condition no doctor could stop, says your faith has made you well, and she was good. Jesus told a little girl who was dead to rise, and she got up. All the while preached the message that caused the hearts of people to turn and follow him. Then he told his disciples this crazy story about how he would die, but that three days later he would come back with the keys to the kingdom, and then he did. It's powerful. When God says it, it is so. It shall never be that what God speaks returns empty or void. And there's no doubt What Paul has in his mind is that scripture is the record of what God has said. But when he chose Rhema, he had the spoken word and the Holy Spirit on his mind. Because Romans 10, which Paul also wrote, says in verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In other words, it's not enough to hear it for yourself. Sometimes what's called for is to say it. It's to speak it. When God says it to you, praise God in the name of Jesus. I'm so glad that you hear. But sometimes that means you've got to say it out loud. We are to hear God's spoken words to us. We are to read what's recorded in Scripture. And then, and then, we are to say it. But can I remind you of a quick tidbit? The sword is tucked where? In the belt of truth. So the appropriate use to yield God's words is when it comes out of truth. Not your opinion. Not your agenda. Not your feelings. God's truth ain't got nothing to do with that. It's the truth. You don't get to pick and choose how you apply God's words. You pull it out of truth. You apply it in truth. You say it. You speak it. Can I be more explicit? The enemy is not going to leave you alone unless you tell him to. 
the lost won't find hope on their own, you got to tell them. Anxiety and depression won't give up real estate in your mind. You got to tell it off with the sword. Your friends and family will bury themselves in their search for identity and success if you don't tell them who God says they are and the good news of Jesus Christ. The Lord has already said it. He's already promised. But he's expecting us to take those words forward. That's how he chooses to use it on earth. He's like, look, I ain't saying nothing that I ain't already said. But sometimes, because I know some of us need it, I will say it more directly to you in your time of prayer should you make the space to hear from me. But then my expectation of you as my disciples is to be willing to die for this, to be willing to suffer for this, and go forward with these words ready on your tongue and on your lips so that others may know, so that others may hear, so that others may return to the heart and the promise that I've had for you for a really, really long time. The enemy, church, the enemy doesn't want you to know about that. He doesn't want you to know about that. But you have a sword. You have a weapon. And it works. Where do you need to sharpen your sword this morning? What is the sharpening, what is the refining that is needed for you, for you to be able to confidently yield your weapon? Is it that you need to get to know God's words, whether it's recorded or spoken? Maybe that's it for you. Get to know God's words. Perhaps... Perhaps you just need to check the way that you're using it. Perhaps the reason that you're not seeing fruit and you're just making more people angry isn't the offensiveness of the truth of God, but it's actually the way that you're choosing to throw it around. Or maybe, maybe you got all that. And the sharpening of your sword that you need is to have the boldness and the confidence to say it, to draw the sword to know where it applies, to know when and how to use it. Guys, there's no way that the devil releases his strongholds in our lives or in our community if we come with our own strength. We must proceed with not our own words, not our own tactics, and not our own strategies, but with the sword of the Spirit, with the spoken words of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for our time in your recorded words. God, we thank you that you saw fit a real long time ago to inspire people to write it down, to make it plain, so that your people may understand the vision. And Lord, now we pray to receive your spoken word in our spirits, in our hearts, in our souls, in our lives. Lord, reveal to us where it is that we need to sharpen our sword. Show us the rough edges so that we can refine according to your will what it is that we hold. And God, I pray that this would be a people, this would be a collection, this would be a body 
But the devil knows. They know what they're doing. They know how to use it. They know. They know how to pierce through all of the tactics of this world and to get to the truth. God, I pray that as we strengthen ourselves in your words, that the enemy will run and flee in fear for their safety. I pray that this is a church that not by our own strategies and our own tactics, but by your spoken word defends the land where you have placed our feet. Pray these things in Jesus' name. All who believe say, bless up.